Podcast. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. And the truth shall set you free. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother, Wesley. Today, we are talking a new movie from 2020, available now on VOD, Sonic the Hedgehog. Not to be confused with, ah, to totally be confused with the Sega Genesis video game from 1990-ish. Yep. I just want to say... Sonic the Hedgehog was a very sad milestone in my movie-watching life. Why? Because I think that Sonic the Hedgehog officially marks me as like an old lady. I watched Sonic the Hedgehog, and I was like, that was really cute and so harmless and predictable. Like, I liked Sonic the Hedgehog because of how completely toothless it was. (laughs) Uh, we had, uh, intended to go see it in the theater. That didn't happen. And then after all this, the problem is we're always on the hunt for new content in a coronavirus age where we don't have access to weekly, multiple weekly new releases. We kind of have to look for the sort of more high profile ones. And, uh, Sonic, while not being a high brow movie, certainly was high profile, but you know, this was originally scheduled to be released in the pre-coronavirus age. And so it's been long gestating and on my radar. Doesn't mean that I was dying to see it, because do you remember hearing anything about this late last year before the design change of Sonic himself? Like 11th hour change? Yeah, when the trailer released, they released a, a much more realistic, I guess, Sonic with more fur and quills and normal sized eyes. And there was a considerable backlash from the fans. So rather than face the movie's failure, the producers issued a statement saying, we hear you and we're going to go back to the drawing board quite literally, redesign the Sonic character to make it more palatable or that which you're more familiar with. So there was this kind of online campaign, which was met with a reception from the filmmakers. And so maybe there was kind of a sense that when the movie was ultimately released with the newly redesigned, more aesthetically pleasing and, uh, more video game accurate Sonic, maybe people had the sense of, well, we were actually listened to. And if this movie goes downhill now because of lack of viewership, we won't be listened to in the future. You think people rallied around the film because the filmmakers listened to their early feedback? There was definitely a small contingent of people who saw this because it felt like their grievances were heard. That's all people want is to be heard and entertained. This movie was not going to take anyone by surprise. I don't think it's going to convert any people who weren't Sonic fans. I think it's a fan service movie, top to bottom. If this movie is going to make money, it has to appeal both to kids and to people who play the game and love the character. 
I mean, who's really a Sonic fan? I mean, it was a part of, you know, everybody's childhood for anybody remotely near our age. Like you said, Sega Genesis debuted late 80s, around 1990, and Sonic was the cooler, sleeker answer to Nintendo's Mario. I mean, I, I haven't really thought twice about Sonic since I was trying to bogart your Sega Genesis. Yeah, and I remember Sonic fondly, uh, you know, for the f- first time I played it, but I, that's only the very first game. There have been multiple games, and obviously as we saw the introduction of Tails, and there's another one, there's like a, a rocket, and there's all kinds of different characters in subsequent games, but kind of once Sonic stopped going fast in a side-scrolling sort of runner game, then I kind of I lost interest. I never played the other Sonic games where they were slightly more 3D. It was just go fast and, and do loops. You were always jealous that I had a horse and accused me of being spoiled, but not many kids had both a Nintendo 64 and a Sega Genesis. That's true. Went to Toys R Us, and this was a shining moment for Mom. The other one was when I had, uh, you know, I was unpopular and uncool and everyone hated me, and she agreed in, like, sixth grade, seventh grade, to buy me $130 Air Jordans. Unthinkable at the time. So we went to Toys R Us, and I was all excited because it was all I ever wanted in the world, a video game system. But when it came down to choosing a Sega Genesis or a TurboGrafx-16, I was simply unable to do so. I could not That's choose. what I meant. TurboGrafx. Yeah. yeah. Dude, it was one of those things where once you leave the store, this decision, which would alter my life forever, was I was never going to get it back. It would be done. So I had to make a choice and I could not do it. I I think I was crying uh, in the shopping cart because I couldn't make a decision. God, I'm a nerd. But and uh, and so ultimately mom broke down and I cannot reckon it to this day, bought both systems, which briefly made me the coolest kid on the block. And then then because of my actual personality, that quickly dissipated. I remember you came home pretty stoked. And then I all wanted to play. And then you were like, no, but you can sit and watch. It's the dream. And that's your job as a little sister. Anyway, Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie 30 years later, which appeals to, I guess I was one of the original fan bases, right? I don't know that I'm the person this, this movie was made for. Well, who else would it have been made for? This is why this is why Sonic the Hedgehog makes me feel old. It was a movie for kids who grew up with the video game and now have kids and it was it's a co-viewing opportunity for those kids to watch this movie with their kids. So exactly our age group, 35 to 45 somewhere in there with with kids who are now getting to be of cartoon age receptivity to to cartoon type movies 100 percent. because this was definitely not a trolls movie or even an angry birds movie or anything like that it wasn't a disney movie it was definitely a part and and more kind of on the, in the shrek vein where it was more intended for adults i think or at least it was more adult friendly it's not something that would have been played on nickelodeon or something does nickelodeon even exist anymore <laughs> that's bad yeah i think we're the sweet spot maybe me more so than you because I've got a four and a one-year-old. Yep. So here's my argument for why Sonic was definitely aimed more for adults and the nostalgia of adults than it was for kids. Produced by Tim Miller, who directed Deadpool and Deadpool 2 and Terminator Dark Fate. At least those are what he's most known for directing. So last year, Tim Miller directed 
Terminator Dark Fate, which was met with a less than enthusiastic reaction. And then his other producing venture, Sonic, got pushed to 2020, just ahead of coronavirus. So all in all, 2019, not the best year for director Tim Miller, producer Tim Miller. Okay. But his track record would suggest that this movie would have been more geared towards adults. Yeah, but just that it was a surprising choice. Tim Miller is definitely not kid-friendly for his movies. Like you want a film to be for adults or you want it to be for kids. Because you don't really like the Shrek movies. Well, when these movies apply broadly and, and everybody is happy, then I have no qualms. But if I'm questioning why a movie was it was not a success, why it didn't move me emotionally, then I try to find out where the fault lies. So I'm trying to find out on whom I can place the blame for Sonic not moving me in the slightest. And when this movie was released, I wasn't excited about seeing Sonic the Hedgehog. I viewed it as a curiosity. What could they possibly have to offer me about a 30-year-old video game that I haven't played in 30 years? So why were you pushing it? I was suggesting Popular Fair, a movie that we can review, which people had actually seen. And Sonic did really well. Not only at the box office, because it did have a brief life before we all went indoors, but also critically, it was received really well. I mean, it was 60%. It wasn't through the roof, but that that's not quite certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's definitely a, not a not a fail. It's not a not a Rotten Tomato. There were, I was surprised, there were like four plus stars, like 3,000 ratings and four plus stars on... Amazon. I was surprised by that. And the viewership ratings, yeah, are through the roof nine in the in the low 90s. So I don't know. Trying to figure out who loved this movie. I loved this movie. Really? You're looking for some place to pin the blame, and I can find. I can tell you places that deserve the praise. Okay, so let me start. I thought uh, that the the redesign specifically looked fine. It didn't rub against me at all. It was a nice complement of a video game cartoony look with practical application of that look. He was still cute, and yet he seemed to fit in fine. I mean, he couldn't pass for a cowboy in the bar with sunglasses on, but whatever. Um, (laughs) I I thought James Marsden was a... He's kind of done fantasy-type stuff before. He was in Enchanted, where he played the prince and things, and he's on for a number, however many more of these Sonic movies that they want to make. But I didn't feel like he had the comic chops to stand up next to a cartoon character. So James Marsden is probably best known for his role in Westworld. And that is a horribly graphic and bloody series. And I think he took a wonderful comic turn in this movie. And I thought he had great timing. He was really charming. Um, He made me laugh out loud. In some of his responses to Sonic, he probably adopted Sonic as a friend a little bit too easily and too quickly. But, you know, for expediency of the story and whatnot, it was probably necessary. So I gave him a pass for that. But he was really good. As I think you have to give a pass for a lot of things in this movie, right? I looked at Kelly pretty early on and I was like, so we just have to allow that this is a certain kind of movie, right? And she said, yeah, you can't. You have to view it in context, that it's a little blue alien that tries to mesh in with a small town that it loves. So then James Marsden, fine. I mean, he he didn't offend me. Uh, A lot of different actors were considered for the role of Tom, among them Paul Rudd, who I think would have sold it much better. I think who has the comic timing to make the Tom character actually funny. 
as opposed to reacting to Sonic, who was also supposed to be funny, who was not funny. Sonic was not not funny, and ironically, Sonic was probably the weakest part of the performances. <laughs> of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie? Exactly. The iconic, eponymous character was probably the weakest part. Paul Rudd would have been great. He would have been an obvious choice for this. James Marsden, less so, probably a gamble that I think really paid off. But if you had asked me who would be best to play Dr. Robotnik, I would have said Jim Carrey hands down. I couldn't have thought of anyone better. And yet I got nothing from him. (gasps) How dare you? Look, I'm the target for my age group. You and I are the target age group for this movie. We come with 30 years of awareness of Sonic, but we also come with 30 years of awareness of Jim Carrey. And his notable breakout role was Ace Ventura. And this seemed like a carbon copy of the Ace Ventura role, except in this case, he was a bad guy. He was just as annoying. He was just as in your face. The mannerisms, he actually looked way more youthful than the Jim Carrey that I've seen with the scraggly gray beard in recent years. He looked 20 years younger. Yeah. I don't know if that was VFX or whatever, but he was awfully agile and flexible and Gumby. He's He was as Gumby-ish as he was when he was Ace Ventura Prime. Yeah. He settled so comfortably back into a role, I thought it would work really well. And it was tired. It was, had he not broken out into more serious roles, the shtick that would have gotten old very quickly. I was just recently reviewing our review on Dolomite Is My Name with Eddie Murphy. And you said of Jim Carrey that he is what he is, but then he will surprise you. And I thought about that the moment that Jim Carrey showed up on screen. And I was like, okay, I want him to surprise me. And he did. He was totally Jim Carrey. But he, it was such like a physical performance. And I could see how it would have really fallen flat. But when he was dancing in his lab, in his evil lab, I totally laughed. When he got his head chomped off by the T-Rex? Yes. When he's slaloming on the ski slopes and he gets his head chopped off by the T-Rex and he's doing the robot, which, hello, Robotnik. And then maybe I'm a little ashamed now when I started the review. I was like a little ashamed because I, I really think that this officially marks me as like an old lady because I like I enjoyed it so much. You think Jim Carrey is cute? <laughs> But so his shtick gets kind of tiresome, right? Like it, I get it. Oh, there you said it. I mean, but that's only after like a time and like the big showdown and stuff. It didn't really do it for me, but he seemed ageless. His There was a ton of physical comedy and I kind of liked seeing him back. Look, in terms of physical comedy, Jim Carrey is to physical comedy what Jackie Chan is to martial arts. He is unmatched and nobody can do what he does. But Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We've seen this before. I've seen this before. If Mike Myers had shown up to do the voice of Sonic and did it just like Shrek, 
You'd be like, I mean, I like Mike Myers, but it was just Shrek again. It's a tired shtick that I think he could have changed it up a little because I know that Jim Carrey has that range. And it's almost as though he said, this movie is pandering to people who are in a certain age group. Uh, those same people would love and know Ace Ventura. So I'm going to bring that back exactly the same way. And so I was looking for the things that I could connect to, as I always do, when it doesn't grab me out of the gate and carry me along in a surge of emotion and 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 whimsy and all that stuff. I was trying to figure out why, you know, what the good things are about this movie. Um, Sonic is fast and fast is cool. And apparently he's electric and can create an electromagnetic pulse that knocks out power in the northwest portion of the country. And I wanted to see the cool chase scene and the clever inventiveness of how he would handle situations using his speed. And I guess to a degree we got that, but it was so wildly inconsistent. He was so fast that there was never any chance when he's surrounded on all sides by missiles or rockets. He was never going to get hurt in the slightest. The only peril was to the Tom character. And the only reason he was in danger is because Robotnik was trying to blow up Sonic or catch Sonic. Yeah, um, my only problem with the whole inconsistency with him being fast was that you don't take a super fast character and put him in a road trip movie. Yeah, you know why? Because when once James Marsden kicks him out of the thing, he goes pew and shoots all the way to San Francisco and comes back with a fish on his head. That fish would have been cooked. Yeah. I, when he ran to San Francisco and back, I was like, wait, where are they again? I had totally yeah. forgotten that they were in Montana. Did he really run to San Francisco? Dude, so a nerd broke it down, as nerds do on the internet. If they were anywhere in Montana, and if he went to the Pacific Ocean and came back with, with a fish on his head, his speed would have been approximated at 21,000 miles per hour. So but, he, could have, he could have said, see ya. And then Tom could have gotten on a plane and not been in any danger because he didn't have Sonic on the seat next to him with a dude with missiles trying to blow him up. But he didn't know where to go. Doesn't matter. Speaking of, that truck was awfully featured and and the Olive Garden product placement was really weird. Yeah, it was. And that's kind of my point. If Sonic didn't know where to go, he definitely could have found his way. You know why? Because Sonic was all kinds of up on pop culture. Despite the, the fact that he lived in a cave, he knew all about Vin Diesel and Fast and the Furious and Amazon using drones and The Rock being president. And he knew about Olive Garden and he knew about all this stuff. So he certainly could have used a roadmap to find his way to San Francisco and just waited at SFO for Tom to land in safety. And Speed. Remember he was watching Speed? Oh, yeah. He loved Speed. And I really thought that at the end, when Sonic said, I have something to say, that he should have quoted Speed. It was a real missed opportunity. But maybe all of this could have been solved if they had simply hit the point harder that Sonic wanted a friend. He wanted to have the road trip experience. But still, Sonic is fast. And when he doesn't go fast, Sonic is kind of boring, in my humble opinion. But I think the pinnacle of this disparity in, in his top speed or whatever came when, by following his speed in our real time, he effectively stops time and can manipulate things in a flash when it's sped up to normal time, all happens at once, right? He can move things out of the way. He can make people punch themselves in the face like they did in the bar fight. And to Tom's eyes, when it comes back to full speed, it's just whoosh and they're splashing and people falling down, right? Right, yeah, he goes all Matrixy. Right, except it wasn't Matrix. It was a perfect 
ripoff of what they've done in the most recent X-Men movies. Quicksilver is known for exactly this montage. I think they've done it three times. They always use a, a song in the background, and he zips around and, and manipulates things and, and tastes the stuff that's flying out of the pot and positions people so that they punch each other or punch themselves, and he hooks people's underwear to stuff. And then when it speeds up, there's like this whooshing, and everybody falls down and stuff flies all over the place, and the heroes are left bewildered because they're not hurt. Are you exaggerating, or did they literally do the no, same things? No, it's shocking how closely they replicate that exact scene. And given that James Marsden was once a part of the X-Men franchise, he played a young Cyclops. This was before the Quicksilver, the advent of the Quicksilver uh, character in the movies. I thought, and maybe Tim Miller has some kind of association where they had some licensing, or maybe um, uh, the, com- the production company had the rights or the ability to rip them off so closely but and that's kind of the problem, isn't that? Like I said, there's nothing new in this movie for me, from James Marsden to Sonic to Jim Carrey to the sort of speed montage they used. I was going to compare this movie to my experience playing Sonic the Hedgehog. If you're not good, do you remember playing it at all? Not really. I mean, really, you wouldn't let me get my hands on the controller. <laughs> so pretty loose and fast rules. I mean, you're going through these zones on Sonic's planet or whatever, and you're collecting rings and you're on in the hunt for these chaos emeralds, I guess they were called. And that's about all I remember because I didn't play the subsequent games, but it was basically Sonic go fast, Sonic do loops, Sonic collect rings and jump over stuff to not get hurt. Because when you get hurt, Sonic jumps backwards in shock and all his rings shoot out of him at the same place. So it's like if someone punched you on the street while you were jogging and all your spare change fell out of your pockets. It's not bad enough that you got stopped in your momentum and someone punched you, but now you have to pick up all your spare change. So you'd have to scramble around and catch these bouncing rings before they disappear for good. And so that was always frustrating. Regardless of how much momentum you get running through the game as Sonic, when you lose all these rings and you have to stumble around and pick them up and then you have to start from a dead stop and gather speed again so you never get the swirly legs roadrunner kind of effect um, consistently very frustrating and i felt like this movie never quite picked up speed again it was always trying to make sure that we were still paying attention trying to keep it clever keep it pop culture referency make sure that we were entertained by sonic and never got to a fever pitch that I was hoping that a movie about Sonic the Hedgehog would reach. Is that unrealistic of me? You wanted it to be fast. I wanted it to be fast and cool. I had always thought that a Roadrunner movie on a surface level could have been a good idea. Back when Space Jam and and Bugs was interacting with Michael Jordan, I thought, fine, if you put the Roadrunner going at supersonic speeds down the, you know, in Monument Valley in Utah, being chased by a coyote in an Acme rocket or or whatever, um, that could have been cool. Just from a pure speed standpoint, it could have been the best chase scenes in movie history. And But, you know, I never fleshed that out beyond that concept. But that's kind of what I hoped that Sonic would be. Not the Roadrunner making friends with some dude in a road trip movie. So, and so when he's not running, um, he's, we, he's just... He's a wisecracking, smart-alecky Sonic dude who wants to experience life. Who experienced life from every angle, who undoubtedly had iPods, and who could jump oh, iPods, God, I'm old. And who <laughs> I mean, he could he could do anything he wanted. You know how I know? Because he could jump out of the car and say, F you and go visit the the world's biggest rubber band ball and 
go through the thing and there's no, he didn't have a card. He didn't have any money. He can't interact with people without his cowboy hat and sunglasses. So he stole all those souvenirs and handed them to Tom. You know what? That was a little amoral. And then also James Marsden has a couple beers at the honky tonk bar and then immediately drives. Man, look at you paying attention. Uh, PG <laughs> movie, not a PG-13 because there is alcohol consumption. Look at that. And drunk driving. Very uncool. He yeah. steals and he and he drinks and drives. <laughs> I was not happy about that. And that was definitely the mom and me. Remember when the young girl uh, tied her mom up and uh, in her own house? Yeah, although they chose the wrong chair for that. It wasn't even like she was attached to it. She was like sitting comfortably in her armchair, tied up Goonies style with like exercise bands. Purely for effect. So I'm trying to figure out who this movie was shooting to entertain. And I have a theory. I have a theory that it's four adults who are looking for surface, who are looking to have a movie on to keep, get their kids to shut up while they're making dinner and don't feel like they missed a part of it or any nuance and can look up when there's a loud noise and a blue electric flash and Sonic doing something electric or cool. These are the same adults who maybe never leave Green Hills or their small town, which they set it in because it's easier to set a movie with a fish out of water character in a small town where nobody notices him. And then at the same time, makes fun of the people in the small town. Robotnik is pretty merciless in calling Tom a bumpkin. But these are the same people who would see Sonic travel all around the world using his rings to teleport or transport or whatever, and who wouldn't be surprised that the Great Wall of China is completely devoid of tourists, or that the pyramids in Egypt are way out in the desert. There might as well have been a caravan of camels trucking by. <laughs> they were awfully remote compared to actuality. So when I worked for Hallmark, I would always be surprised at the feedback that we would get from viewers. They would say things like, it was really predictable. I really liked it. Or <laughs> it was just so simple. It was great. And I would I had to learn to come to expect those responses because you would think when they'd say like, hey, it's really boring, then you wouldn't expect the next thing for them to say is like, I loved it. And yet that is what that audience looks for. They look for safe, predictable, simple, because they're not looking to be challenged. They want to watch something and enjoy it and not have to have their defenses up. And that's why when I liked this movie, I immediately felt ashamed that I was old. How long did you work for Hallmark? Almost five years. Yep. In, in which time you got five years older. But that'll be the next one. Sonic and Tails, a Hallmark original production. Holidays with Sonic. Yep. So if you had produced this movie for Hallmark, it would have been a success on every level. And maybe you being all old and having worked at Hallmark for half a decade changed the way you perceive these kinds of family-friendly movies. But I can still bro down with Extraction. That doesn't mean that Sonic was a good movie or deserves to be compared in any respect with a movie that was more effective, like Extraction. I'm giving this movie a whatever review. No. It was whatever, because honestly, I was just kind of waiting for it to end. There was an inevitable climax, which involved speed and Robotnik not being killed, but being one-upped and pushing uh, the possibility of a sequel that Sonic would be in peril for the briefest of moments and then come alive Avatar style because of electricity and everybody would be friends. And yeah, 
And then there was codas and things that I had to sit through. There were like three endings to this movie. There was like the showdown, and then we check in with Robotnik on the Mushroom Planet, and then we check in with, what's his name? Tails. Tails. A character that I know nothing about beyond his name and the fact that he can fly. Like a helicopter. Yep. It's a little brutal to say that you're just waiting for it to end, like you were literally just waiting for the movie to die. (laughs) Once they got back to Green Hills, I was pretty much over it, and his whole thing about let's just stay where we belong and with the people we love, like all that kind of stuff was maybe a little bit too sappy. And there was a part of me that's still alive inside that was fighting against it. (laughs) But other than that, like up until that point, I was like, this is fun. Yep. And I give Sonic the Hedgehog a good rating. I'm going to pass quietly into into my middle age. And my good rating is largely due to James Marsden. So... Props to him for carrying this movie. And I was happy to see Jim Carrey back. And I like movies that do this whole live-action animation hybrid thing. And they're not easy to do, especially for James Marsden, who had to act against a little blue fox the entire time. Yeah, Sonic 2 is inevitable. There you have it. A whatever from Wes, a good from Iris, and a milestone movie at that. Yeah, we'd love to know what you think about Sonic the Hedgehog. In particular, if you could contact us, I want to hear from those of you who think that Iris getting a horse versus me getting a video game system is proportionate. That I want to hear. 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. I'm not saying that they're proportionate. I'm just saying I wasn't the only one who was spoiled. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.